Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. In this episode of Write, Publish, and Shine, I will walk you through how and why to turn your writing outward with the help of six other writers and editors. We're talking about going from the intimate to the broad, the personal to the political, and how to reach out to the world with your writing. What would happen if you consider the specific personal details you're crafting into fiction, creative nonfiction, or poetry as a fractal a part of a whole pattern that exists in macro format in the world. Maybe you're writing about a meal you had with your family, and meanwhile, what you write relates to social ideas around food insecurity, to global issues like poverty, hunger, to nations or universes beyond that dinner table. Maybe you're writing about a death that impacted you personally, and that death ripples through and touches on big topics of body autonomy, or of legislation and political elements related to the way the person died. I think a lot of us, especially writers who listen to this podcast or writers who have worked with me, start out writing about the self. We start out in the microcosm of that meal, tasting each bite prepared, or feeling the skin shivers of the person bereft from loss. And, of course, this is necessary. I believe this so hard. I know a lot of writers I love in our community come to writing as a place to finally be seen and heard. The self is political in itself when it's writing that lifts the silences imposed on us. Oh, I get to write about my version of what happened? I get to show the importance and significance of things I care about? When we came to writing, that was the promise. That was the thing that had us mentally screaming inside, sign me up. I myself wrote a whole book of poems like this. I called it Galaxy, and the inherent irony was really the galaxy revolved around small, specific relationships with my family, with the little microcosm of life that was my own. I see writing about the self as an important step in our writing, giving voice to the micro, daily, or quotidian worlds. Even in reaching out this way, we are saying something to the world. It's usually a question like, do you know what I mean? So, yes, in a way, it is about reaching out to the world. And I know the history of intimate writing about the self and relationships is often gendered as women's writing and belittled for this. 
writing about home life, family was, still is often maligned as unimportant and not worthy of high art. There can still be a prejudice in the writing establishment and the word personal can be thrown about to mean not important. This gets my danders up big time because it is so dismissive and just another way to marginalize minority genders. It is a way of saying that anything inside the home isn't serious writing. I spoke to a former colleague at Room Magazine about this, and she really helped me bring the bias against personal stories into focus. Sierra Sky Gemma is a writer, journalist, and the winner of a National Magazine Award for Best New Magazine Writer. Now, she had an experience where a contest judge put out in the contest guidelines that he didn't want to get submissions of personal stories. Oh, boy, that was eye-opening. Men's creative nonfiction is usually, and then women's nonfiction is usually memoir, personal essays. To me, there wasn't a real difference. To me, a very intimate piece of memoir that could in no way be fact-checked was just as valid as a piece of investigative journalism. I wholeheartedly agree with Sierra that writing intimately about ourselves or intimately in general, domestic writing, as it was called pejoratively when I took an English lit class back in the day, is an entirely valid way to write. And if that's something you're happy with doing in your writing, keep on keeping on with that, dear writer. Though I will put out there, too, that no memoir, if you're writing it to be read, is just about you. And I'm not just saying the personal is political, because of course it is, but when you're writing to be read, you're always reaching out in some way to the world. Here I turn to Julian Esteban Torres Lopez, the co-founder of the social justice storytelling organization, The Naciona, where he also hosts and produces The Naciona podcast. He's going to break this down further. I mean, you assume that memoir is about you, you know, touched upon it a little bit, but it really isn't unless you don't care about sharing it with the world. So when you sit down to write with, with whatever, with tea or on one side and a pencil sharpened or, you know, a battery charge, whatever way you write, there is only one important person in your life. And that's the stranger at that point. So you have to ask yourself, why, why should your readers read your work? What's in it for them? What value are you adding? Why should they be invested in your story and then give you their time? What makes you stand out from the other hundreds of submissions? Now, I sometimes work with writers who don't explore the bigger picture or beyond the self because they feel they don't have permission or perhaps feel pigeonholed into the personal, intimate writing sphere. And I think if you are feeling stuck at all in that microcosm, and I'll speak for myself here too, where I'm working to explore beyond myself and to connect to bigger ideas of the world in my writing, I think there is something to the idea that we start by giving voice to who we are and how we feel about the roles assigned to us, the experiences we had, giving our lives significance, and then also finding the greater meaning and significance of the microcosms we write about. We can bring into focus the macro meaning of our micro writing. 
Carly Baker's debut short story collection, Bad Endings, won the City of Vancouver Book Award and was also a finalist for the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Prize and the Emerging Indigenous Voices Award for Fiction. Her book drew from a lot of her own bad decisions, exploring family ties and the end of a marriage among her inward-looking topics, but her writing is turning more outward these days. Here's Carly talking more about this. Yeah, fortunately, I've pulled my stuff together in the last few years, but all that conflict in my past is going to make for great stories. It's made for some, I guess, already and more to come. So one thing that's definitely changed since Bad Endings is that I've dealt with a lot of the painful stuff I wrote about in the book. There's a lot of navel-gazing in that book because I needed to heal some things before I could turn my gaze outward. I'm sure I'm grateful that folks enjoyed reading it because, you know, I keep the readers in mind. But a lot of those stories I wrote for me. These days, I'd say I'm a lot more concerned with what's going on in the world and how I can contribute educating people about the environment, issues of Indigenous representation. It will tell my own story. My book will tell my own story, but it engages with political and social issues a lot more than bad endings did. And I'm glad for that. You can only gaze at your own navel for so long and that's what you need to heal. Great. But I'm really looking forward to turning my gaze outward. I totally agree when Carly says, if that's what you need, great. But also if you've been doing it for a while, I'd think for myself, at least it's a relief to look away from the navel. And it's also big and audacious. It means we're saying not only can I be seen and heard in my writing, but my writing has a bigger connection and I'm part of something, a community, a cause, a scientific fact, a population, a culture, something outside of me. I'm interrupting this episode about turning your writing outward to invite you to join my warm, inclusive and supportive membership community. In Writerly Love, creative writers get together, learn about writing and building a platform, and growing a luminous writing career. If you're ready to learn and grow, to trust yourself and an open and honest writer who has got your back, that's me, I'd love to have you join the Writerly Love membership community. Registration opens on September 21st, and it won't open again until September next year. You can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. So at this point, if you're saying, okay, Rachel, I'm convinced I'd like to experiment with turning my writing more outward, I am ready to place my story into a bigger picture of what the story means. I'm ready to be seen and heard and also take a stand about my place in the world. How do I do this? Writing in a way that looks outward and sees the part and the whole first requires thinking about your connections to political and social happenings. Let's listen to Emily Wojcik, who has worked in nonprofit publishing for more than a decade, first with Paris Press in Asheville, Massachusetts, and now with the Massachusetts Review. The Massachusetts Review is a publication that is very interested in writing with that outward gaze. And Emily provides a really concrete story about how a work of writing starts about a family, then finds its way into, through direct connection, a much bigger story about social and political events. I've read really wonderful memoirs, but we as a magazine, we don't really publish personal memoir that doesn't in some way engage the broader world. 
What I mean by that is, for example, in our summer 2019 issue, we have this really amazing essay by a woman named Mimi Lipson. And it starts off being about her brother and her brother was bipolar and would often, when he was in a terrible place, he would take himself hiking for days at a time all by himself out in the woods. And in the course of one of these hikes, which is triggered by the fact that he's having trouble with his neighbors upstairs. He lives in a house that his mother is the landlord of, a building that his mother is the landlord of. And the neighbors upstairs are giving him a lot of grief and trouble and causing a lot of noise. So he takes himself off. And the course of this height, a freak tornado goes through and he gets felled by a tree and ultimately rescued and all of that. But in the course of this, it starts off being about family trouble and mental illness. And then you begin to learn through the course of the essay that the neighbors upstairs are the Sarnayev brothers from the Boston Marathon bombing. And that this author's mother was their landlord in Boston. And it becomes this kind of really intricately woven meditation on mental illness and family, but also the idea of, do we really know our neighbors and what are the effects of these people on both good and bad on the greater world and the ways we interact with people? And it becomes this really big essay in a really economical space. And that's the sort of nonfiction that we tend to look for. My boss puts it, we're more interested in the world than the self. And when we get memoir, it's often really well-written, but it's so specific and it's so small. The charming and adorable story about a man learning to cook dinner for his family because his wife got a job and that sort of thing where it doesn't feel like it's saying much beyond the family. And it's hard for us to figure out how that's going to work for our type of reader who's looking for a broader, more international, more politically engaged form of nonfiction. What headlines does your writing relate to, and how can you make that connection? Of course, we might not all have a big, significant, tragic, giant news story living next door, but we certainly all have connections to social and political life, things that are bigger than us from tragic to sublime. In many ways, all it takes is that layer of reflecting on our times. Here is Wendy Lesser, an American critic, writer, and the founding editor of the arts journal, The Three Penny Review, on the function of literature in society. Well, you know, Ezra Pound called it news that stays news. Now, Ezra Pound was a maniac and a fascist, but on the other hand, he was right about a lot of things. And I do think that's true, that literature stays current when everything that's just current events drops away. And I do think that literature tells you things about the world that can stick with you and shape your sense of history in a way that regular old nonfiction accounts often can't. I mean, most of what I know about 19th century England, everything I know about 19th century Portugal, and at least half of what I know about 19th century Russia comes from novels. I have a sense of those worlds from reading the great works of literature that came out of them. I'm not saying that literature is separate from life. Literature is part of life, as T.S. Eliot said at one point. But I think that some kind of transmutation has gone on having to do with the fact that it was sifted through an individual perspective, the author's individual perspective, even if we don't know anything about him, like Homer or Shakespeare. You know, those are like anonymous people in a way to us. But something has been sifted through their perspective and then has come out the other side in a way that is no longer personal. It transcends the personal, even though it's gone through the person. When you're considering the headlines your writing relates to and how you can make that connection, 
It's still very much about you and your point of view. Listen now to Erin Schneider, who teaches in the Department of English and Writing Studies at Western University and founded the Thames Review. He talks about the nuance and introspection required. I also think that people should think about that positionality in terms of the way it pushes you in directions of really fascinating subject matter that we don't hear about very much. I think when people are doing political writing, a lot of the political writing we get is very much focused on one side of that. Like if you think of this, you know, dealing with an unpleasant situation, a difficult situation, the kind of thing that people address in political writing, you end up with an equation that really simplistically has kind of victims on one side and perpetrators on the other. It is almost unheard of for us to get work that, not almost entirely unheard of, but it's really rare to get work by someone who looks at the one side of that equation, which is the side of the perpetrators, and asks questions about where that comes from, interrogates their own complicity, etc., So I guess this is sort of a long-winded way of me saying that if it comes to political writing, one of the things that I personally would like to see more of, and I think it would be really refreshing to see more of in the submission pile, is the kind of writing that takes a long, hard look at where the writer themselves is coming from and their relationship to the issue they're trying to address. Because that's rare, I think. When it comes to taking a long, hard look at ourselves in relation to an issue, in some ways we're coming at this the other way around, meaning we already are writing about the inner experience. We're coming from that long, hard look, from a firm point of view. Then we're pulling that out into the world. The challenge here will be to keep that level of introspection even as we bring news, politics into the writing. So, to recap, turning your writing outward takes one considering headlines that your writing relates to and how you can make that connection between your micro and that macro, to recognizing that your point of view is still paramount, that you are still the filter through which this information is passing, but then three, bringing more nuance to topics, so not falling into the good slash bad binary thinking. Does any of this sound like something you'd like to try if you're not already in your writing? If so, over to you, Luminous Writer. Go big with your writing, take a story or poem that is intimate and about very personal things, then connect it to the news, transcend the personal. Find the micros in your work that relate to macros, then write as much about the world as about yourself. Find specific details in your fiction, creative nonfiction, or poetry that fit into a whole pattern that exists in macro format as well in the world. If you're ready to learn and grow, to trust yourself and an open and honest writer who has got your back, again, that's me, I'd love to have you join the Writerly Love community. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. When you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters sent every other week and filled with support for your writing practice. If this episode encouraged you to turn your writing outward, I would love to hear all about it. You can tag me on social media. I'm at Rachel Thompson on Twitter 
or at Rachel Thompson author on Instagram and use the hashtag write, publish, shine. And tell other luminous writers about this episode. You can do this by sending them to the podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast or searching for write, publish, and shine wherever they listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to keep connecting and reaching out by writing luminously. My guest spoke to me from the unceded territories of the Lekwungen people on what is colonially known as southeastern Vancouver Island, British Columbia, the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, Sawasan, and Musqueam nations in so-called Greater Vancouver, lands colonially known as London, Ontario, which is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, Lenape, Atawandaran, and Wendat peoples, lands colonially known as Berkeley, California, the territory of Hoichin, the ancestral and unceded land of the Chochenyo Ohlone, the successors of the historic and sovereign Verona Band of Almeida County. And I'm recording this as a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and presently occupied by the El Tirabin Bedouin. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.